I'm starting the recording. Take your Bibles with me this morning and turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I do not apologize for the lengthiness of this study. I told somebody this week, you know, I, I sit down and I look at these scriptures, and I, I tell you, it's a, it's a, I ain't going to say it's a task, it's a labor of love is what it is. It's a joy, and it's a pleasure. And when I see so many things, see, I, as I study through these things, I think, i got to say that, i got to share this, i got to bring... And I was talking with Nathan this week and, and was talking about how that, you know, sometimes I get so strung out on things. But then I got to thinking about it. You know, I, I have no promise that, uh, I really have no promise of the next moment. And, as, you know, as long as it took us to get through Hebrews and as many other studies as we've been through in times that y'all have been with, especially the ones who've been through with us from the beginning, there's really no possibility, probably, that ever in my lifetime I'll get back and study verse by verse through 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5 as far as we go in this. And so my thought process is on is this, is I want to know everything that I can learn from these passages. And that's how I look at it, is, is what, what do these passages say to me as an individual as far as my comfort and my security and my assurance and if it is of a comfort and an encouragement and an assurance to me, I would hope and I would pray that it would be the same to you. I'd hope you'd want to know everything that I can dig out of this thing for you because that's what it's about. You don't get the opportunity to sit down and spend your week looking at the Word of God. I, you have jobs. You have families. You have friends. You know, that, that's what you, this is not a job. This is a call, and I, that's what I get to do. I get to spend time looking at passages, reading as much material as I can, looking in depth at the words, trying to, to dig out those things, those, those treasures. I, I think about what he says at the end, because that's where I wanted to get today was to verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. I want to dig out as much treasure as I can. I want to dig as deep and as rich and as full as I can every time that I look into a passage. So I'm not going to apologize. I know Sandra always fusses at me. Quit, quit apologizing. I'm not going to apologize anymore. We just, I'm going to just teach you what I've seen, what I've learned through my studies in the week, and pray it'll be of some value to your soul as well as mine. And I, I thought about this a long time before I wrote this opening sentence down, but all of us have been here. All of us are in this situation. All of us have family members. All of us have friends, and all of us have neighbors, fellow employees, people who've crossed our paths that we've sat down and carried a casual conversation on with, who do not know and who do not believe the true gospel of God's grace in Christ Jesus. They might be kind, they might be sincere, they might be moral, and they might even be dedicated to what they consider Christianity. And they, most of the time they are. I know I was. I was, me and Pam were about as dedicated as anybody could be. I mean, my stars, me and Pam were so dedicated that they put us under such legal bondage that I quit watching TV. Basically, almost became a Pentecost. We completely quit watching TV, quit going to the picture show. I always thought it was funny. I quit watching TV, but I'd still watch football. 
<laughs> would turn the TV on to watch football, and there was the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. You know, <laughs> can't, can't, can't be on the TV, but we can watch t- football with them girls dancing around on the sideline. Pam wouldn't even wear a dress. I mean, wouldn't wear a pair of pants because we were convinced you wear pants, you're going to hell if you wore pants. So she wore a dress. I'm surprised she didn't get her hair up in the bun, but we didn't go that far. But they, that's, what, that's how they consider Christianity. It's all those outward things, all those outward actions. But our Lord Jesus Christ, or Paul, or John, the Apostle John, he wrote this. He said, He that believeth in the Son of God hath the witness in himself. You believe the Son of God, who he is, what he did, what he actually accomplished, you have the witness, you have the testifier in him. He that believeth not the Son of God hath made him a liar, because he believes not the record that God gave of his son, the testimony, the witness that God's gave of his son. Here's the, here's the witness God gave of his son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I'm going to tell you this up front. The only one in whom God is well pleased is Christ. You better be in him. You hear me? And this is the record. That God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath, who has and holds in His hands, wearing it like a ring, he that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God, you don't have Him as the Lord your righteousness. You have not life. It be all those things, moral, sincere, dedicated, religious, kind, compassionate. You have not the Son, what have you got? See, here's the thing. Having been taught of God, the Apostle Paul understood the condition or the state of his unregenerate brethren. He says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone that believeth. That's John, Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. One chapter before that, I didn't write it in my note, but it just popped into my head. He said this, I say the truth in Christ Jesus, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. He said, the Holy Spirit witnesses of this concerning me. That I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Now listen to this. this is, he says, the Spirit bears witness. This is the truth, the reality of my life. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, cut off from Christ. For my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. You think about it. He says, that word accursed, it's the same one that he used in, in Galatia when he said, if any man preaches any other gospel than that gospel which I've preached unto you, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema maranatha. He said, let me be given over to divine destruction. I'm willing to be given over to divine destruction so that my fellow kinsmen, 
You that concerned about people? Huh? You think about the same Holy Spirit that dwelt in Paul, where does he dwell? It's not a different spirit. All it's the same one. Holy Ghost ain't changed. He like Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Holy Spirit being eternal, unchangeable. Same one dwells in me, dwelt in Paul. Now you think about that. Think about that statement, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. You know what that word desire means in the original? The original word, it means kindly intent. It means benevolence. It means delight. It means this, my pleasure. Our kindly intent, our benevolence, our delight, and our pleasure toward our lost spouses, our children, our siblings, our parents, and our friends should be the same as Paul's. You believe that? I do. All my heart I believe that to be the case. And see, Paul used the means God had purposed to call his elect to himself, faithfully and dogmatically preaching God's gospel, even stating in the verses that we left off with last week, but we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation, by a clear declaration of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He said, if I have an opportunity, I'm going to tell you the truth. Whether it hurts you or not, I'm going to tell you the truth. And folks, that's the ministry, all of us, at Grace Baptist Church and all of the church across this entire globe has been given by God and called into by God, namely to do what? To preach out to every person who will listen to us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. And like Paul, our desire and our prayer to God is that if it's his will, if it's his will, he'd be pleased to show himself merciful and gracious to our family members, to our friends, and even to our foes. Folks, there were people praying for Saul of Tarsus. I know it to be so. Because our Lord heard their prayers. Didn't change his mind. He had moved on in to pray for him to do his pray. Thy, thy will be done. Lord, stop this man in his madness. And God did stop him and made him a home team player. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And Paul starts out by telling us that when we've done all our part, and we've been faithful in declaring the ministry. The Lord has called us into, we have to leave it in His sovereign hands, trusting that His will be done. Look at our next verse in verse 3. He says, On the hills of I, I preach the gospel to every man before their conscience so that I am not accountable. They've heard the truth. I'm a saber of life unto life, saber of death unto death, he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. But, in spite of me doing that, if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. That's our responsibility. He preached 
our, we preach our gospel. And if our gospel's hid, who's it hid to? It's hid to them that are lost. You think about this. When we fulfilled our responsibility of preaching out the truth to every man's conscience, the Holy Spirit shows us by Paul's word the same thing. It took Jonah going into a whale's belly to learn. Salvations of the Lord. Totally and completely. I know religious people hate to hear this, but it's the truth of the Scripture. If our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. What's the truth of the Scripture? The reprobate, the non-elect, those not chosen by God in the everlasting covenant of grace, will never hear. You hear me? They will never hear, and they will never believe the gospel. See, and listen to this, it's hidden from them. Think about that. Gospel's hidden. We faithfully and dogmatically set forth the gospel, which means glad tidings. That's what all it, that's all it means. And men refuse to believe it or despise it or reject and hate it, seek to destroy it. The problem's not with the gospel. You hear me? The problem's not with the gospel message that we've declared. Because according to God's sovereign will and purpose... God hides his good news, his glad tidings, and he hides it from a particular people, from the reprobate. If our gospel be hid. The reprobate, you think about it. They can see and they can hear the law's demands. Can't they? Even attempting to satisfy the law's demands by their obedience to that same law, which in turn, the only thing it does is what? Condemns them. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And how many people do you know, friend, family, and foe, trying their dead level best to keep the law, to get salvation by their obedience to the law? So they can see what the law demands. They know what it requires. And they're even attempting to do it. The reprobates, you think about it, they can and they do. They feel remorse for their sin. Just like Esau and just like Judas Iscariot, even going so far as to declare that they were guilty in the matter. Yet they cannot see and they will not see the good news and glad tidings that God justifies only one group. Who does he justify? The ungodly. I'm telling you, that's what's wrong with natural man. They cannot admit to that reality that they're ungodly. You think about our Lord's words to his disciples. When they asked him one time, they said, Lord, why do you speak in parables? Why don't you speak plainly when you talk with the Jews? Because that was their concern. These Jews, you, you've upset the Jews. <laughs> By the Jews, he meant the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes. So the disciples came and said to him, Why speakest thou to them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Listen, this is our Lord. Because it is given to you to know the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it's not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given. And he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, 
From him shall be taken away even that which he hath. Therefore speak I unto them in parables. In another place it said Christ always spoke to them in parables. And it never did he speak to them not in a parable. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing they shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing you shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and should be converted. And I should heal them, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. It wasn't because they were more noble or more committed. They'd been given the gift of sight. They'd been given the gift of hearing. You hear that as a natural person, as an unregenerate person. I know, I know the thoughts that run into your mind. You hear me? I know. What, when you hear that, that God just God did not God hid it from them. Our gospel be hid. The first thing that comes out of the natural man's mouth is this, or natural woman's mouth is this. That's not fair. That's not fair. Well, God the Holy Spirit knows man's thoughts, does he not? And knowing man's thoughts and reactions to the truth as it is in Christ Jesus, he moved the Apostle Paul to write this to you. If you're having trouble with this this morning, so then it's not of him that willeth nor of him that runneth, but of God that shows mercy. That's the issue. God shows mercy. For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, now think about this, the Scriptures say this of Pharaoh, for this same purpose have I raised thee up. Who raised him up? God did, Jehovah. That I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout the earth. Therefore, he hath mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. And you think about that. It says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. He didn't allow Pharaoh to harden his heart, folks. He hardened his heart. That's the scripture. Thou wilt say then, why does he yet find fault? If he does this, why does he yet find fault? For who's resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that replies against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel to honor and another to dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? From when? Before they'd done any good or before they'd done any evil. That's the scriptures. That he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he hath afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Robert Hawker in his commentary wrote this on this particular passage, but if our gospel be here. And I like the way he wrote this. This is an interesting way to write this. He says, what an awful scripture is recorded here of a hidden gospel. But now listen to this. It is always a hidden gospel. 
how loudly soever preached or how clearly soever unfolded by human strength. In other words, I can tell you as clearly and yell at the top of my lungs and demand that you believe it's still hidden until he reveals it. Well, what do we do? That's our responsibility. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. But look at his next word. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine into them. By these words, Paul gives us an even clearer description of those to whom the gospel's hid. And I have you notice who God uses to blind the minds of the reprobate. Who does he use? The God of this world. The God of this world. And see, religious people, lost religious people, they read a verse like this one, and they use a verse like this one to teach their erroneous heresy that in this matter of salvation, how do they, how do they say it? They say this way, God cast a vote and Satan cast a vote. Now you've got to make the deciding vote. First of all, neither Satan nor you or I have a matter. We don't have a vote. We don't have a ballot. You hear me? It's got nothing to do with you or me. I want to make this as clear as I can. He says, in whom the God of this world, this, this phrase, the God of this world, Satan is indeed the God of this world. Not in the sense that this world is under his dominion and rule. He doesn't absolutely control it by his sovereign power and might. Satan's the god of this world in the same sense that, that Baal was a god of those who worshipped him. And Dagon, the dog god, was the god that the Egyptians bowed down to and worshipped. So when he's called the god of this world, it doesn't mean he rules and reigns supreme in this world. He's the god that this world looks to. Right? He's, a God, he's that that Isaiah talked about, a God that has no hands, no feet, no mouth, no ears, can't see, can't talk, can't walk, can't do anything. But he's still their God, the God of this world. And i tell you this much, whatever binding Satan does, it isn't according to his will. And it's not according to his purpose. But all of it's according as God's pleased to use him to accomplish his sovereign will toward the reprobate. You think about Satan's words. I, and I went back and I looked at that this way. Think about Satan's words to the Lord when he approached our Lord about his servant. Well, actually, take it back. Rephrase that. When God approached him about his servant, Job. Go read it for yourself. And after he told him, he said, consider my servant Job. And there was a long dissertation. You know, Satan came back, and our Lord answered him again. And then he says this. Now, this, this is Satan talking to the Lord. He says, but you put forth thine hand now. No, you touch him. Touch all that he had. He's talking to the Lord. It's in the Lord talking to Satan. This is Satan telling the Lord, you put your hand on him. And you touch everything that he has. And he'll curse you to your face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath. You know what our Lord said? I'm fixing to touch him. I'm fixing to lay my hand on him. 
but who's he going to use to lay his hand on him? He said, you take him. You, you got the power. I'm giving you the power. Only put, only upon himself, put not forth thine hand. In other words, you can touch everything that he's got because this is the first instance. You touch everything that he got, but don't you touch his body. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord, and we know what happened. He killed his sons, destroyed his barns, took away his servants, took away all his wealth. What did Job do? He ran his mantle, right? What did he say? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, second time, our Lord approaches Satan again. And he tells him, have you considered my righteous servant Job? And they go through the same thing. And Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yea, all that a man hath will give for his life. But you put forth now thine hand on him and touch his bone and touch his flesh. And he will curse thee into thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, behold, he's in thy hand. In other words, I'm going to touch him skin for skin, but who am I going to use to do it? Huh? But he tells him this, save his life. Why? Because the issues of life and death belong to who? I tell you, Satan is literally on God's leash. And God by him, you know what he's done? He's blinded the minds of them that believe not. That original word translated blind, hath blinded means to blunt the mental discernment or to darken the mind. And that phrase of them that believe not, it's one word in the original. And it means unfaithful. It means faithless. It means without trust. And in the context of this chapter, and in the context of this entire epistle, these words aren't describing those who might in the future be brought from unfaithfulness to faithfulness. The, whoever he says, if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. He's talking about people that's never going to be saved. It's in people that at some point he's going to reach out there and tickle their heart fancy and bring them to himself. The Spirit of God by the Apostle Paul, he's drawing a picture of us for us here of the scriptural distinction that our God makes between the elect and the non-elect, between those that are his and the reprobate, between those redeemed and saved by Christ's accomplished death and those for whom Christ didn't die, between those whom God by his Spirit gives faith in Christ as the Lord their righteousness and those predestinated to unbelief and condemnation. Look at this and we'll close. Notice, notice what God by Satan blinds a reprobate's mind from seeing. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine into them. Tell you what, you know, this isn't just merely a New Testament teaching. John referenced Isaiah the prophet in the gospel that he wrote. Listen to you. But though he had done so many miracles before them, Yet they believe not on him. Why did they believe not on him? They exercised their free will. No, hold on, wait. That the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which saith, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who's the arm of the Lord? 
You ever thought about that? Who's the arm of the Lord? The Lord Jesus Christ. That's the arm of the Lord. Uh-huh. Underneath, remember what Moses said, Deuteronomy? Underneath or what? The everlasting arms. What's under us? Christ. His blood, His righteousness. Therefore, now listen to this. I I can't believe I missed the meaning of these verses for so many years. Therefore, they could not believe because that Isaiah again said, listen to this, this is the Lord. He hath blinded their eyes and He hath hardened their heart. Who did that? The Lord. Why did He do it? That they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah. When did he say it? When did he say that? He said, when I saw his glory and spoke of him. When did did that happen? Remember when he had that vision? In the day King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. How did I see him? High and lifted up. His train filled the whole temple. And the angel shouted what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he said, what did I do? I stood up and said, Lord, I've been faithful and honest and true my whole life. He said, I became like a dead man. And I realized that what was I? I was an unclean man of unclean lips among an unclean people. And he says, woe is me. I am undone. And one of the angels with tongues off the altar of God took a coal off the altar. And he touched his lips. Touched it. He was clean. What's that? That's quite, all that's about Christ. His accomplished work. Our Lord made this truth about as clear as it could be made when he spoke with those Jews. Go read about it over in John chapter 8, verse 43. Let me just read you a couple of passages out of there. In John chapter 8, he's standing before those rebels who he tells them, you are of your father the devil. In this passage I'm about to read to him, and I'll tell you, if, he, if he's your, if the father is your devil, if the devil is your father, you don't become God's son later on. You're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. We aren't former children of the devil that have been turned into children of God. You do realize that, right? We are that which was lost in Adam. The church, the bride, God's children, His chosen. Our Lord stood before them. That now they, they're claiming God, Abraham's our father. We got one. We're not born of fornication. He says, "Why?" He looks at him. He says, "Why do you folks not understand my speech?" And then he answers his own question. Because you cannot hear my words. You hear that? You are of your father the devil. The lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and a father of it. Because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which you convinceth me of sin. And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God. You hear that? He that is of God. Here's God's word. You therefore hear them not because you're not of God. 
make the connection. Right, right beside that verse, if you've got it open to John chapter 8, verse 46 and 47, draw your parentheses around verse 47 out in the margin, right? John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. Because that tells you what it is to be of God. You know, John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13 says this, But as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe on his name. Everybody says, there we go. That's our part. We've got to believe on him. But he does not stop. Which were born. Not of blood, nor the will of man, flesh, nor the will of man. What are they born of? They born but of God. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. See, Satan's one goal is to blind men's mind lest they see the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ who is the image of God who should shine unto them. Listen to a literal translation of this verse. That there doth not shine forth to them the enlightening of the good news of the glory of the Christ who is the image of God. That original word translated delight means the act of enlightening or illumination. So that lets me know the only way you or I or any sinner sees is what? We got to be illuminated. We can't illuminate ourselves. It ain't like turning a switch on in our minds or in our wheels. That original word translated delight, translated uh, the word Translated by the phrase of the glorious means a most glorious condition, a most exalted state. The word translated gospel means proclamation of the grace of God revealed and pledged in God's Christ. The word Christ means the anointed. So at this point in time, the Christ to God, sin of God, he had come, right? And he was fully manifested who he was is God's anointed Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was held it out to this world. And this same truth had been set forth in type and in picture in the Old Testament, but it was hidden and it was obscured from the majority of national Israel. They didn't see Christ in any of it. Yet to those whom the Lord by his sovereign grace saw fit to give eyes to see and ears to hear, the elect even among Israel, were enlightened to this most glorious condition and exalted state of God's anointed Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the heralding of the grace of God for all those whom he represented. Paul and all God's children, we're now called upon to do what? To preach out this manifested truth, fully trusting that even though God has purposed to blind the non-elect, the reprobate, by Satan and his ministers, thank God his people will and do hear his voice and they come unto him. The prophet Malachi wrote these words concerning Christ's work. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings and you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. That word translated fear means reverence, means respect. All right, this is the best translation of it, to stand in awe of. Remember when they stood at the Red Sea and Moses told them, stand still and see what God's about to do. Stand in awe. 
This is so important. The scriptures tell us plainly that in all men, both the elect and the reprobate, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Think about that. There's no fear of God before. Malachi says, unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. In other words, what he's saying here, there's no fear of God before their eyes. None of us by nature, either elect or reprobate, have any reverential respect, and we do not stand in awe of the true and living God, and his character is both a just God and a Savior. Why? Why is that the case? We're dead in trespasses and sin. We're enemies in our minds by wicked works. We're by nature children of wrath, even as everybody else. Equally blinded by Satan, held by the powers of darkness. What's well, only hope for God's chosen people? David said this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever until the Lord by his grace miraculously enlightens us. That's Psalm 111, verse 10. His son, wise Solomon, twice, he says, the fear of the Lord, I read this in the Sunday Bible class hour, fear of the Lord's the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's Proverbs 1, verse 7. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 18, he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. But here's the thing. David told us the source of this fear of God. Where does it come from? You have to work it up. Is that how we get to where we fear the Lord? Here we go. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark my iniquity, who can stand? You write down one sin. Not, and that's the thing. Not, I, I hear men, I see people on Facebook talking about sins, and they make Make it out like some sins are worse than other sins. Folks, sin is sin. There are no big sins and little sins. I saw somebody talking about a white lie. There are no white lies. A lie is a lie, right? You think about murdering somebody, it's as if you pick up a gun and shot them. No difference. He said, Lord, you mark any of my sins, who can stand, who can stand in your presence? But, there's forgiveness with thee. And in the strangest thing ever recorded in the word of God to the natural mind, that thou mayest be feared. Forgiveness brings fear. It brings reverential awe and respect. See, this fear in something a sinner works up in their heart by that which God puts in the mind and understanding of his elect by his Holy Spirit under the preaching of the gospel. Listen to Jeremiah. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God, and I will give them, a, a, give them one heart and one way. Not two ways, one way. That they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. And listen to this. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and I will not turn away from them to do them good, but... I will put my fear in their hearts. What, who has to do it? He has to put his fear in their heart. 
And if He puts His fear in our hearts, listen to this, that they shall not depart from me. Ever. That's Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 38 through 40. I'm going to tell you this. I said this this morning in the Sunday Bible class hour. I'll say it again in this hour as well. None fear the Lord but those who have been forgiven, who have had His fear put in their hearts, which reveals to us what? The forgiveness of our sins. Listen carefully to Paul's words, and I'll quit with this. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that by this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sin. What's preached to you this morning? The forgiveness of sin. And by him, that's by his grace, by his Holy Spirit, through the declaration and manifestation of His righteousness through the gospel preached, heard, and understood, and applied by the Holy Spirit. He has preached unto you the forgiveness of sin, and by Him all that believe are justified, made righteous, declared righteous from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. The question we all need to ask ourselves in closing is this. Do I fear the Lord? That's all that matters. Do I fear the Lord? I tell you what, if he's put his fear in your heart, you know of his forgiveness full and free in Christ. Now, we'll come back next week, and we'll look at the glorious miracle of enlightenment by the revelation of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's stand together, and we'll be dismissed. I appreciate your presence. Lord bless you. Keep you till we see you next Lord's Day.